Greetings, uh, church family. It's nice to be with you again. Um, I'd like to uh, just briefly bow for a prayer and then uh, share some things with you from the book of Revelation. I've not had a chance myself to pray up here this morning. I would like to do that before we open the word of God. Dearly Father, we, we come before thee, Lord, because we are sinners. And we are in the predicament of the great controversy here in this world. And we are helpless without thee. Father, we pray that holy angels will press into this place of worship. We pray that the Spirit of God will also be around us like a wall of fire. And we, as we open your word today, we pray for the guidance of Christ. We pray that thou will illuminate our minds and fulfill to us the promise. The path of the just is as a shining light. It shines more and more into the perfect day. Guide my mind, Lord, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that thou exalt the Savior in our minds today, that we will love him as the chiefest among 10,000 and the one altogether lovely. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Last time when we were together, we um, took a look at the subject of the three angels' messages, which I would like to do again uh, with you in these few minutes that we have here in church uh, for worship today. Um, Last time I read to you, and I'm going to to do the same thing again, uh, read to you a statement here um, commenting on the three angels' messages. This is uh, in 7A of the commentary, page 422, and a few short sentences. The 14th chapter of Revelation is a chapter of the deepest interest. This scripture will be soon understood in all its bearings. And the messages given to John, the revelator, will be repeated with distinct utterance. Seven A four twenty two, seven B C nine seventy eight. Uh, either one of those would get, get you to it. So if you look up the Ellen White comments in the SDA Bible Commentary, and you go right to Revelation fourteen. If you have the SDA Bible commentary, go right to Revelation 14, Ellen White comments. That's right where you'll find it. But it's 7A422 and 7BC commentary, 978. Here's another a very brief one I'd also like to read, and then I'll make a few comments here. Christ is coming the second time with power unto salvation. Christ is coming the second time with power unto salvation, to prepare human beings for this event, to prepare human beings for this event, he has sent the first, second, and third angels' messages. These angels represent, these angels represent those 
who receive the truth. These angels represent those who receive the truth and with power open the gospel to the world. Very thrilling. Really, um, all, you know, when you look at the book Acts of the Apostles, it says in there that all the books of the Bible meet and end in the book of Revelation. Uh, really, the, comment, the commentary of the Bible itself is a commentary on Revelation chapter 14. And of course, as we can, from our very limited ability as human beings, we want to absorb light from all these different books of the Bible which will bring to bear a better, clearer understanding of Revelation chapter 14 itself. Last evening, I was out with uh, uh, a couple of my friends. Well, several were there, uh, some ladies passing out uh, Health Magazine and the, some of us passing out Great Controversy and so forth. And I mentioned to my friend uh, while I was there, um, and I'm just I want to give you a little example of this because... Here's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. We as Seventh-day Adventists are not simply Seventh-day churchgoers. We are a movement that has been raised up by God. It's We have been entrusted with this, and we are to live, eat, and breathe, and do the will of our Heavenly Father in embracing these messages and getting them out to the people. Uh, we need a thinking that is goes beyond the ordinary boundaries as it were, we need to think and plan and devise and improve, okay? Because we are here on a mission. We are not to recline uh, in the pew, as it were, and let somebody up front to do our thinking for us, or most of it, or all of it. Amen. You see what I'm saying? Amen. We need to be thinkers and doers. Yes, sir. Because we were created in the image of God, and everybody has been given that ability. Anyway, we're out there on the street talk. Uh, I always just spoke to my friend briefly. And uh, But I want to just give this to you as an example. So whenever you're reading in Proverbs or Psalms or Ephesians or whatever it is, read the Bible through the view of the three angels' messages, the last messages that are to go to the world, and how you can apply the text of the Bible to that experience and that message and that duty. But I quoted to my friend while we were there on the, on the street last night, um, the text from, sorry, I don't know the verse, around page, around verse 40 in Psalms 119. But in there it says, I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Yes, amen. Mm. That's a text to meditate on, to embrace, and to drink in. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Isn't that good? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that the third angel's message, that the three angels' messages are going to be proclaimed by God's people without shame? Because yes. they are not ashamed of their Lord. They are not ashamed of the truth. Yes. You know, it's interesting. Coincidentally, if, if you can call it that, maybe more providentially, how sometimes when I'm, it's somewhat of a habit for me to get gas Friday afternoon and whenever else I need to buy it during the week. Yesterday, um, a lady filled up some gas cans. She said, are you strong? I said, well, good enough. So I loaded some gas into her vehicle for her. I went to my van and grabbed the book, Great Controversy, gave it to her. She looked right at it. She said, what religion are you? I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. She said, oh, she said, I 
She says, I can see the Sabbath is true. And she had a friend who's a Seventh-day Adventist. And, but she said, you know, she said in Romans 14, it says, every, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. I said, ma'am, I said, Paul there is talking about what you eat and do. He's talking about personal preference and conviction. He is not talking about things that are clear from the word of God. I said, we keep the seventh-day Sabbath because Jesus kept the seventh-day Sabbath. Well, anyway, the Lord's working on her mind. She said, well, if my church switched over to the seventh-day, I would keep it too. So anyway, she didn't realize the significance of it yet, but at least the Lord's working with her, you know. Last evening, there was a lady came down the street. I handed her a book. She said, I don't want that book. She said, I'm a Satanist. <clears throat> so I, and I cannot recollect because I talked to so many people, but I came back. I said, no, ma'am. I said, you have got to have this book. I don't remember exactly what I, but she and I went back and forth about a husband, excuse me, about half a dozen times. But I was so, can I say aggressive with her? But anyway, she said, she said, ah, oh, she said, I'm just going to end up in hell anyway. But anyway, by the grace of God and the enthusiasm he gave me to talk to that woman, she took the book before she walked off. Yeah, yeah. The previous time we were out there, near the end, a lady came over to me. She was in a wheelchair. And just kind of, um, by the way, I'd like to recruit some of you because there's some events coming up. And there's a really big one coming up in October. 100,000 people a day pour through this town, Circleville, south of Columbus. The Lord helped me pass out 1,300 books in two days when I was there the last time. I mean, it's incredible what's there. But anyway, um, so anyway, this lady was watching me the last time, and she said she was in a wheelchair. About the time we were going to quit, she came over to me, and she said, you know, she said, I've been watching you this evening pass out that book. She said, I've been watching you a good long time. She said, I've been watching those people that are turning you away. She said, someday they're going to be sorry. And she said, he's coming. He's coming. I know he's coming. I said, do you have one of these books yet? She said, no. I said, well, here's a book for you. (laughs) Right right around the the day before the 4th of July, I went with a friend of mine to Columbus. It was just, it was amazing. And I give God the glory, but in five hours' time, the Lord helped me pass out well over 400 books. It was maybe 450. Just people. It's amazing what comes out of the crowd. But one man came out of the crowd to me, and someone else had given him the great controversy, and he pointed to the back of the book, and he said, what this, what's this word, V-A-T? What he, he said, how do you pronounce that? I said, that is the word Vatican. He said, well, what's that? I said, well, that's the headquarters of the Catholic Church. He said, oh. And I said, this book explains to you how Catholics and Protestants back in the 1500s separated because the Catholics weren't following the Bible, and this book shows you how they're going to come together again and how we're going to lose our religious freedoms here in America. He said, ah, oh, he said, that is very interesting. He said, I will check that out. One man said to me last night, he said, this must be really important if you're out here passing, just passing out this book, giving it away. I said, yes, it is. I want to tell you something about, and it's just what I'm, I'm maybe rambling here too much. I've got a number of things I want to try and say in a few minutes, but I just want to make a point to you here. When you witness to people, you need to love them through your eyes and you need to connect with them. Some people came by last evening. They said, oh, they said, we have that book. We got that book from you last time. We got that book 
last summer, and I said, good for you. I give them thumbs up. Some people, when they walk away, they give you one last lingering look, and I look them right in the eye. They're precious souls that Jesus died for. Yeah, I told my friend last night on the street, I said, isn't it going to be exciting to see some of these people in heaven because of the books that we passed out here? It's going to happen. And uh, the Lord's going to uh, get this message out. Of course, one of the ways to get the message out is to distribute literature. That's a powerful way to get it out. The other way is to proclaim it either on the street or in a group or one by one. People need to hear the truth of the word of God. And uh, we've been, but the three angels' messages give us the, the um, marching orders that we have for heaven, and they describe the message that we are to give. I'm going to read this sentence here again. It says, these angels represent those who receive the truth and with power open the gospel to the world. Okay? So we have a super abundance of things in the Bible. Um, to encourage us as we come to this last Generation. Um, by the way, the third angel's me- the third angel points to a people who are patient. Okay, it points to a people who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Did you re- do you realize that you can't be patient unless you are temperate? And to be temperate means that you're taking care of your health. Anything that you can do to improve your health. Do it, including not eating too much food. Uh huh. Did you know sometimes it's really good for you to give your stomach a vacation? Mm-hmm. Jesus said, Jesus commanded it. He says, in those days shall they fast. And Joel commands it in light of the last days. You know, I read a story in a book on health about a man whose wife left him. She thought some other man was better, so she left him. And he was so sad, he wanted to die. And he decided he would kill himself by starvation. So he went off into the wilderness to live, and he lived on water. And he did that for quite a few weeks. And after quite a few weeks, optimism came to him, and he thought, she's not worth dying for after all. And he went back to civilization, married another wife. But the point is, is that fasting will make you feel better, make you more optimistic. So, in, I'm going to read to you here uh, from the book um, Desire of Ages. This is talking about uh, John the Baptist, who is a type of those who will be giving the last message to the world. By the way, John the Baptist in the New Testament, Enoch in the Old Testament, are very important models as well as as many Bible characters. As a prophet, John was to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is page 101, Desire of Ages. In preparing the way for Christ's first advent, he was a representative, he John the Baptist was a representative of those who are to prepare a people for our Lord's second coming. The world is given to self-indulgence. 
Errors and fables abound. Satan's snares for destroying souls are multiplied. All who would perfect holiness in the fear of God must learn the lessons of temperance and self-control. The appetites and passions must be held in subjection to the higher powers of the mind. This self-discipline is essential to that mental strength and spiritual insight which will enable us to understand and to practice the sacred truths of God's word. For this reason, temperance finds its place in the work of preparation for Christ's second coming. The self-discipline is essential to the mental strength and spiritual insight which will enable us to understand and to practice the sacred truths of God's word. Okay. Um, you know, we've got a lot of history behind us, and it's amazing how God has held back the four winds all these years. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, we have been told by the pen of inspiration um, over 125 years ago that we shouldn't even been here? Do you realize... That instead of traveling, you know, for me, it was about an hour and 45 minutes to get to church this morning. Do you realize when we get to New Earth, it won't even take one second? I mean, if you can travel faster than the speed of light, it doesn't matter if you live on the opposite side of the globe, man. You can travel, whip around the church, meet in the New Jerusalem. It's going to be a really good life, fast travel, no pain, uh, wonderful fellowship, no devil, no carnal nature, no temptations. And the happiness that's going to be there is absolutely phenomenal. The joy and the happiness, and it's going to get better and better. It's going to be really good. And you know what? Here we are still sitting here, right? So, like, there must be something preventing the Lord from wrapping this thing up. Okay, in Revelation chapter 7, it's very plain that God is holding back the four winds till he seals his servants in their forehead. So God is obviously waiting for a people who will grip this message and run with it and go with it. Okay? Um. But back in the back in the 1800s, um, there was a, a a fair in the United States. It was cl- called the Columbian Exposition Fair, and it was held in Chicago. And it was a great event. Uh, they featured all kinds of things of you know progress and things of interest for people to see. At that time, there were about 63 million people in um, the United States, and during the sixth months that that fair was open from May 1, 1993 to, through October, um, 27, million America, or 27 million people came to that fair, which means about half the people in the United States, either by train or horse and buggy, came to that fair in Chicago, quite an event. They paid the 50 cents. Well, during the time that this fair was being prepared, uh, because they were under so much pressure to get things all lined up, the workmen were urged to work seven days a week to get things done. The Presbyterians refused to do that. They started making a stink over it. And so they started a big movement to legislate a Sunday enactment to force the fair to shut down during the, um, you know, during the exposition and, and the preparation of it. Um, there was so much pressure from the churches and the American people that Congress actually passed a law to shut that fair down on Sunday. Now, the Lord used A.T. Jones uh, in a wonderful way to 
address that issue, and then from what I understand, it was reversed again. But the point is, brothers and sisters, even back then there was a Sunday closing law which took away our constitutional freedoms. And um, during, I'm trying to think of what the years uh, were. Um, I have it down here in my notes, but I think it was like the last 20 years or so of the 1800s. I don't have the cards in front of me. But in the last 20 years or so of the 1800s, that um, here they are. That it says from, from 1878 to 1900, there were 250 Seventh-day Adventists that were either imprisoned um, or fined um, or and arrested. So during a 22-year period, there was 250 Seventh-day Adventists that were arrested for their faith. Okay, um, Anybody who says that Sunday laws can't happen don't, know hist- don't even know recent history because they happened. Okay. What's interesting is the same year that the Seventh-day Adventist Church was formed as a denomination, there was an association that was begun called the National Reform Association, and its purpose was to enforce Sunday keeping through legislation. And because they um, had, uh, like, basically no success doing it through Congress, then they turned to the states. And they had a lot of success in, in certain states. I don't remember them all, but some of them were Georgia, California, Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, Alabama and other states where Sunday laws were instituted. Okay, and there's quite a bit of information on that. Here's the point. There were Sunday laws in the past. There will be Sunday laws again in the future. And the point is this time, I believe the Lord's going to wrap it up. I really do. What's also interesting is during this period, um, there was um, a organization of uh, spiritualists. Okay. And... Um, there was 7 million members to this organization, 7 million spiritualists, and they formed a secret society. I want to read you a statement from them where they said this, a system will be unfolded sooner or later of church and state. The object of these two should be one and the same. So you can see where the spiritualists were lining up with the Catholics and brothers and sisters, it is going to happen. It's happened in history. The Lord shoved it back uh, by his spirit and by men like A.T. Jones, but it is going to happen again. Okay. And the, the issue, one of the big issues with the Sabbath, um, yes, the day is integral to the issue, but the issue with the Sabbath versus Sunday is who will you worship? Mm-hmm. That's the issue. And God does not lie. The law of God is a very manifestation of his character, and God does not lie. And we keep the seventh-day Sabbath. One of the reasons is is because we worship a God who does not change. People may not realize it, but in the very act of worshiping on Sunday, you worship a fickle God, as it were, who changes his law, who is not totally reliable. Because if you change one commandment, what's the guarantee you wouldn't change another? But God says, I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay. So the issue of the Sabbath, the importance of the Sabbath, and these other truths that are connected with it, the sanctuary message, uh, let's face it, Adventism is a quite a big um, intellectual field. I have some entries here in the introduction to my um, 
great controversy. I'd just like to read a few of them, and then I want to get into the Bible a little bit here. Christ's Object Lessons, page 303. The message we have now is the most far-reaching truth ever given to mortals. You know, brothers and sisters, this is intense. Do you realize this? I don't, we're not here to fabricate some kind of off enthusiasm. But in the divine sense, this is intense. And it's important because the outcome of these messages are going to determine the destiny of souls forever and ever and ever and ever. It's huge. And our own destiny. Christ's Object Lessons 303, we have the most far-reaching truth ever given to mortals. Five, uh, five Testimonies, page 307. We have a greater and more solemn truth when, than was ever before committed to mortals. That means what John the Baptist preached. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means what Noah preached. Get on the ark or drown. We have a more solemn and fearful message than they even had to preach. Great Controversy 449. We have the most fearful threatening ever addressed to mortals. It's the last message. And it's the most sacred work ever committed to mortals. May the Lord help us. Um, I believe that one of the things that the devil is getting Adventists on, and I fight this battle all the time, and that is being so pressured and busy with life that we are pulled away from the word of God and communion with God. Enoch is one of our prototypes, and Enoch would devote himself to communion with God. And I'll tell you this right now, brothers and sisters, as I stand here before you, I feel a need to be replenished myself. I fight for it every day, and I'm going to keep fighting for it. But sometimes you need to spend a day um, resting and even fasting and meditating on the word. Uh, one of the things that we have to do, and this is a Christian duty, I've mentioned this before, but I'll encourage you on it with it again. We must be meditating on the word to drink it in. Do you realize that there is saving power in every promise and command of the word of God? Hmm. Uh, Psalms 119, uh, verse 93, it says, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. And the word quickened means to give life. Amen. Thy precepts, that means thy word, for with them thou hast quickened me. One way to meditate on the word is simply to memorize it. And once you memorize it, go over it again. Part of what I do for my morning devotions is I review the eight chapters from Psalms I memorized last year. I go over each one a few times, and I've decided to dive into Psalms 119. But at the rate my brain goes, it'll take me a while to digest that one. But I'm really, really enjoying Psalms 119. It's wonderful. Amen. It's powerful. And these passages will enable you to preach the three angels' messages more distinctly. Early on, it's a verse well known, but in Psalms 119, it's a glorious promise. Verse 11, thy word have I hid in mine heart. Wow. 
I heard someone finish the text, Brother Gregory. Isn't that amazing? Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Mm, I like that verse. And I like the verse before it. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings. Oh, the verse after it. It's after it. I will speak of thy I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Early on in the chapter, though, it says, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Do you realize God wants God wants you to be without shame? Do you realize if you're without shame, you're without guilt? Do you realize that you're with, if you're without guilt, you've not only been forgiven of your sins, you've been delivered from your sins? Yes. Isn't that composure? Think of, the, think of the composure that God is going to give his people in the face of the opposition that's going to come against us from all the powers of earth. But we must remember that the power of God combined is greater than all the powers of earth combined. Yes, Amen. It's greater than that. Along this thought of the power in the word of God, um, I would like to read this statement here. Christ's Optic Lessons, page 38. In every command and in every promise of the word of God, every command and every promise of the word of God is the power of, It says, is the power in every command. It's, it is the power. In other words, the power is there. Yes. Yes. Okay? In every command and every promise of the word of God is the power, the very life of God. By which the command may be fulfilled and the promise realized. He who by faith receives the word is receiving the very life and character of God. That's so good. That is like so good. Do you feel like you're a sinner today, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? Like I've I've made a mess in my life. Brothers and sisters, if you had known how some of the bad decisions I've made in my life and what a fool I've been like but you know what that's why I cling to the Savior you know what I'm saying and as long as we continue to feel our need of Christ and cling to him he's going to supply what we do not have at all he who by faith receives the word is receiving the very life and character of God so I would like for you to turn the book of of, uh, first John and I want to give you uh, and me both a little um Spiritual examination here. Okay. First John. Chapter five. Um 
I'm going to start with verse 10 and just run on down. Excuse my mouth. I'm going to start with verse 7 and run on down to verse 10 just to get the flow of it. But I want to look at something in verse 10. Starting with verse 7, 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. By the way, this text has been challenged, um, and I have a a most excellent scholarly work at home uh, giving uh, immense evidence to prove that this verse is actually in the original Bible. But anyway, some people are challenging the doctrine of the three persons of the Godhead would like to question the veracity of this verse, but it's there. It's in Scripture. Anyway, I want to read this again and go on. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Now listen. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is what? Greater. For this is the witness of God which he had testified of his Son. Okay? Just want to make a comment here, just real quick, and then we're going to look at verse 10. As Bible-believing Christians, we accept the word of God as the final, perfect, infallible authority over the word of any man, including the pope and the preacher and the prettiest lady in church. Right? Doesn't matter who they are. That's right. <laughs> we accept the word of God as the full and final authority. Now, if you do not accept the word of God as the full and final authority, you will accept something else as your full and final authority. So you're either going to accept the Pope, a scientist, the preacher, or your own opinion. But everybody, everybody has a final authority from which they draw their conclusions. No one can deny that. Yes. We as Christians are so impressed with this book and are so convinced that it's of divine origin and that it is of God and that it comes from God and the mind of God that we say, Lord Jesus, I believe your word and I'm going to believe like a little child. In fact, Jesus said, you're not going to get into heaven unless you're like a little child. You know, one thing about a little child is they don't have pride of opinion. If you tell them white is white and black is black and God is love, they believe it, right? They don't have pride of opinion. They believe it. And Jesus said, if you're going to get into heaven, you've got to put yourself right on this word because I don't lie. I don't lie. I'm speaking for God now. Verse 10. Watch. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Now watch. He that believeth not God hath made him, that is God, a what? A liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. I want to ask you something. If, if someone makes God a liar and God is not a liar, who is the liar? The person who doesn't believe God. They are the liar, right? God doesn't lie. In fact, he can't lie. 
right? Now, how's your faith? I wonder, by the way, I have a little book here. Um, it's called The Third Angel's Message. Um, these are 23 or 24 sermons preached by A.T. Jones at the 1893 General Conference. There are tremendous uh, treaties on religious liberty, righteousness by faith, and so forth. Ellen White, about 15 years after these uh, uh, sermons were preached, she wrote of these sermons, she said the Holy Spirit gave the arguments, the rather the arguments that A.T. Jones has in these sermons, the arguments were framed, that means constructed or guided by the Holy Spirit. She highly... Um, endorses uh, the, this, this work of A.T. Jones. I just want to read you just a little bit out of here. He's commenting now on 1 John 5.10. The only thing that can keep you and me out of the kingdom of God is to tell the Lord that he lies. Let's just think, we need to think real careful on this, okay? And if you and I will stop that business, we will get into heaven. All right. That is just what people need to do to stop telling the Lord that he lies. Then he quotes 1 John 5.10 that we just read. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. So when we read in the word of God that he's willing to forgive us, that he's willing to give us power to obey, that he will put his spirit within our hearts, or whatever the command or promise may be. If we doubt the word of God, we are in the process of calling God a liar. Don't do that. In order to get to heaven, you must be like a little child. Do you... Like the song says, oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what pain, needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Is there anybody here that's walked around with guilt for a long time you shouldn't have? You didn't need to because you didn't have faith? You don't have to raise your hand. Is there anybody in here that's walked, uh, walked around without victory over temptation? You didn't need to, you didn't have to, but it was because of unbelief. Mm-hmm. Don't need to. He that believeth on God, excuse me, he that believeth not God hath made him a liar. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. But whosoever would make God a liar is a liar himself, and liars cannot get into the kingdom of God. Then the thing we want to do is to stop lying. What he's saying is we got to stop doubting the Bible. So when the Bible says, Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon me, shouldn't we embrace that and say, Lord, you've told me, Arise and shine. When, when, when the Lord tells us, I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed, shouldn't we embrace that? Yes. So if he'll do that for us when we're before kings, why wouldn't he do it for us when we're on the street or talking to a person? I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Or any other promise. Let us quit right now. Stop lying. I'm reading from A.T. Jones. No difference what the Lord says, you say, that is so. Don't you see this is the whole story and the very idea that Brother Haskell was trying hard to incalculate, incalculate, inculcate 
inculcate upon us here in our lessons that there is salvation in every line of scriptures. So this shows that there is salvation in every line of the scriptures, in everything God says. The just shall live by faith. That means they believe the word of God, they drink it in, they believe it. So it's not only an intellectual thing, brothers and sisters, it's an experience. I like what the psalmist said. He says, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast strengthened me. In other words, you, Jesus has done something for me. And I will tell you that Jesus has done something for me that no human being t- could do, knowing my scrambled mind and yes. warped character. Yes. He's done something for me that I could not do for myself at all. So may the Lord help us to proclaim these three angels' messages. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they to keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to wrap it up here real quick, but I'd like to make an observation about this text. This is a statement of contrast. While the world is worshiping the beast, and while the world is impatient, and while the world does not have the faith of Jesus, God will have a people who are not worshiping the beast, who are worshiping God, who are patient and who are keeping the commandments of God and who have the faith of Jesus because they are depending on Jesus to live in them through the power of his Holy Spirit. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. God bless you on your journey. We have a, a work to do. Let us be thinkers. Let us be looking to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we got to really start thinking and acting outside the box, if I can use that terminology. Yes. We are a very important organization. Yes. We have the most important work of any organization in the world, and that is to, to live this message, drink it in, and proclaim this message to the world. May Amen. God so help us because in our weakness.